This just in, yeah, the Kansas City Chiefs are a good football team. Of course, the Cardinals can play better, much better than they showed Saturday night. Welcome, Bird Gang, on today's show. Danny Surek joins me. We look back at preseason game number two, what stood out, both the negative and positive. Plus, look ahead to the week. The team will be in Minnesota. Two joint practices plus a preseason game Saturday. It's Cardinals Cover 2, episode 664, and it starts now. Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2. Buda Baker, what heart, what threat. This guy's unbelievable. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. He's at the 10, half a 5, he's in again! Some more Murray Magic! Wow! Here's Craig Grealoux. Let me start with this. If there is any doubt that the message is not being received from coach to player, or in this case, head coach to player, I can assure you, Danny, the players are listening, and more importantly, they are doing What does JG say? What's his response when we ask injury questions? How is X player? What are they dealing with? How are they feeling? Nicks, bumps, and bruises. All right. So earlier on Monday, post-practice, got a chance to talk with Keonta Ingram, who missed a handful of practices during training camp at State Farm Stadium. He's been limited, all right? Played, though, on Saturday against the Chiefs. Played very well. One of the few bright spots in the game. So the question was asked, how did it feel to be on the field? He answered. Follow-up question. In fact, it was our own Darren Urban at Cards Cheddar because he always asks the tough questions. Can you say what you were dealing with? Ingram's response, just a small little nick. Nothing serious. And that was the end of it. Almost word for word what JG says about injuries. The players, they are listening and they are reciting Exactly. Yeah, but we've only got one more week of that because in the regular season, you've got to put out an injury report. So you can only say nicks, bumps, and bruises for so many days before that official injury report starts coming out with practices. So, Although on Mondays, post-game on nicks, Sunday, I'm sure you'll be, it's only Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday you get that injury report. And then after that, well, you're, you're on your own. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting. I get it, right, of trying to protect them or if they're out they're out right but I also understand from the media standpoint of the importance of knowing what the player is dealing with the severity of it how long they're going to be out all that stuff oh of course anytime there's an injury it's always okay what is it and in how long what what's, right. what's the what's the ETA which if you think about it really does serves does not serve the player at all mm-hmm. because if you get that two to three week window or four to six months and if you're Beyond that, then it's like, what wrong? Did you suffer a setback? Yeah, no, that's it's a window for a window, but it's not a definitive window. Which is why I've been saying this whole time I have had no problem with the staff saying that there is no timetable for Kyler Murray's return because it is too far away and you don't want to put that pressure, that expectation on him and on his body and if there is any setback or anything like that. Though questions still are being asked Every of the head time. coach about Which, Kyler again, Murray. Which, again, you know what? I, I, you gotta I ask see both sides. Yeah. Right, you have to ask. That's your job. You have to ask. By the way, on practice on Monday, it was a short practice in the bubble. I'm not sure if that was because it was 
two days after a game or weather-related, but some good news. Cameron Thomas was on the field during the open portion, so that's good because I do think he, along with MyJ Sanders and B.J. Ojolari, those three did not play on Saturday, and those are three young edge rushers that you hope see a lot of time and contribute this season. So knock on wood, maybe during the joint practices or dare I say Saturday's preseason finale, we see number seven or number 97 on the field and maybe my J and also BJ. Right. It's interesting with these injuries of you're clearly trying to keep them healthy and safe for the regular season, right? That's where you really need them. It's just interesting because, well, Cam Thomas, it was some residual um, injury that, Nick's bumps or bruise that he had from the first preseason game but since he was back doesn't necessarily seem like it was something that was that he'll be dealing with for a long time um but with BJ Ojolari and with Maje Sanders the last couple practices we've seen them out there in a limited fashion but doing more so on the limited site right they're they're doing more than what they had in the past from a limited standpoint out there with you know, doing different drills and, and more than they had the previous week. So it's interesting of, okay, you're you're healthy enough to go out there and, and do that in practice, and obviously a game is different. So it just kind of feels like maybe just erring on the side of caution with those two and making sure they are fully healed. We had seen Sanders with his hand or his yep. thumb wrapped um, throughout most of training camp so far. So we'll I'll see. say this about this coaching staff. Unless it's a serious injury and requiring more rehab than just – the post-practice kind of rehab, players are going to be in uniform, on the field, going through team stretch. It's just a matter of how much they do after team stretch, whether it's more individual work and then watching. But every single player, whether they are limited or not, I mean, you're you're out there. You're not back in the training room unless, again, you're Kyler Murray, do your rehab work, and then come watch practice. Yeah, and I think that's great. And even when Kyler Murray's done, he comes out and watches practice. It's not like he's doing his rehab and going and having lunch and not you know, being a part of the team, taking those mental reps and seeing how plays and things are looking out there, which is great. Again, we've talked about this. It really just feels like everybody is buying in to what this coaching staff, this front office is not selling them because that makes it sound like it's right kind of a scam, which it's not. But right, everyone's buying in to what is being offered to them. We bring up B.J. Ojolari, and before we get into what happened Saturday and that 38-10 to loss to the Kansas City Chiefs, you had an opportunity to stop B.J. for an upcoming feature on azcardinals.com. So want to give you the opportunity here, Danny, because we have not heard a lot from B.J. since maybe the, even the offseason, but he is on the field, limited. But how limited was he with you for game on? He was not. He he honestly might go down as one of the kindest professional athletes I will ever encounter in my life. Wow. So respectful and kind and patient. Like he was just so great to be around. This game on that we shot that will come out on azcardinals.com and the YouTube channel and social channels and all that in the midweek um, was not so much of a game, but more of a challenge. It was just kind of something fun and really different. Um, there were like prizes and punishments essentially, and they pretty much all revolved around food. And so that's what I will okay. say about the game on. I like this tease. Yeah. So I have, by the I'm, way, I'm Bergen, kinda, I have no idea what is going on. I just, I'm like, I'm enjoying this. I'm, I'm kinda, intrigued now. I'm kind of sitting here as we record this podcast and my stomach is a little queasy oh, from, okay. from recording this, this is after recording game on. <laughs> um, but he is just so kind, just really interesting 
individual and you know working hard to get back onto the field. He gets to face off against his brother Aziz week two, who's with the New York Giants. So just kind of getting a feel for the rookie more as a person. And you're right, because we haven't seen a lot of him out on the field. But it was he was a great sport. I think we had a lot of fun. So again, that game on episode should come out hopefully around Wednesday, but but midweek. Keep an eye out for that. This is another notch in Monty Ford's belt as far as the 2023 draft class in which we still quite don't know what kind of a player they are, but as far as a person and media-friendly, Paris Johnson Jr., Michael Wilson, Keytrell Clark, B.J. Ojolari now. I mean, that's I just named you four, and those are the four guys, that we, well, three of them that we've heard a lot from, and then you with the opportunity to get to uh, know more about B.J. But that's selfishly, that's what we care about in the media. Are you a good talker? Are you engaging? Do you have a personality? Okay, now we want to speak to you and speak to you a lot, but you have to produce on the football field. So that's where they have to come in and do the work, but we reap the benefits if they're performing well. Absolutely. And it it really, I mean, it sounds so cliche of you're not just drafting the player, but drafting the person. And it really does feel like they have just picked some incredible young men of not just what they bring on the field, but you're right. I mean, every rookie we have encountered with has been respectful and willing to talk with us and answering our questions and isn't you know making us wait an hour when it's their turn to talk or blowing us off or anything like that Um, and even just walking around the building of like saying hello and asking how you're doing and some of them still say ma'am when they talk to me it's it seems to be a very very good group of people that they have brought in as rookies when you're referred to as ma'am do yes you it makes me feel old do you immediately correct them and say no, no. i don't correct okay. them because i figured like that's how they were raised right and a lot of people like they they say oh i'm gonna call you ma'am because my if my mom knew that i weren't like she would not be happy so i don't want to correct someone when they've been raised and like have those manners but it does make me feel very old can i refer to you as ma'am no no okay no no just the just just a reaction just the look on your face just by you i once. would tell don't <laughs> call me that okay well that was kind of harsh wow. <laughs> all right well we've put off long enough what happened on saturday again the end result was not great 38 to 10 although at halftime it was 17 to 7 so it wasn't all that bad but there was enough Negative, if you will, as far as what Jonathan Gannon talked about, explosive plays, missed tackles, penalties. He said all correctable. But when you look back, and by the way, for those that might have missed it, working the TV broadcast, so you have the sideline view of this preseason games. But the difference between the Broncos game and the Chiefs games outside of the upgrade in talent in opposition and quarterback, what did you see or not see? It just felt like there was a bigger drop-off between the ones and twos and threes. Um, really on defense, just we, we had talked after the Broncos game of you can only see so much in a preseason of what you're putting out there, what your opponent is putting out there. You're not really game planning for each other. So you just want to see the basics of effort, tackling, technique, those things. And I thought that they were pretty good week one. And then week two against the Chiefs, tackling was an issue. And it, it just felt like, at least on defense, you really saw that bigger drop of, and again, you touched on, of the difference of competition of the Broncos and the Chiefs offense, even moving past their starters. Um, so that was probably the biggest thing on defense was seeing that. And, and the offense just, you know, they, they struggled, obviously, to get into the end zone. But penalties 
we talked about there was one pre-snap penalty in week one. I think they only had four penalties, and then you Correct. jump up to eight in the next week. Um, it just kind of felt not quite so sloppy, but it definitely was not as clean. I will say, though, from a logistical standpoint, again, seemed like all in all the way that the calls were coming in and the speed at which they were coming in and the energy and the effort, that didn't seem to lack, which is good, right? That That's coming from the staff and what they want. The fact that offensive coordinator Drew Pensing went from the field to the booth to call plays and you didn't really see any sort of difference in how the offense seemed to be operating was a good sign as well. Um, but tackling was probably one of the bigger differences I noticed between game one and game two. Nick Rollis, the defensive coordinator, calls it tracking. Most people refer to it as, did you take the correct angle? And whether that was happening or not on Saturday, and then it appeared guys were just late, a lot of lunging. Again, how much is it was not taking the right angle or just the upgrade in talent and guys were getting beat? You hope that they were in the proper position to make the tackle. And some of it, again, you get beat a lot of times in this game. But tackling, I'm sure, will be worked on. It will be stressed. It becomes harder to work on tackling, especially in training camp when you're not tackling regularly to make sure you're healthy for game day. And then the penalties, 8 for 82 yards. There was just one pre-snap penalty. It was Marquise Hayes and a false start, but it was a costly false start because it was second and one, and then all of a sudden becomes second and six. So you can't have that happen. So I'm okay with the physical mistakes. It's the pre- and post-snap penalties that you cannot have. And there was, I wouldn't say a post-snap penalty, but it was an unnecessary roughness call on Isaiah Simmons that stood out. And Simmons stood out for all the wrong reasons on Saturday night. It was not a good game for someone that this defense is relying on to play that center field safety net position. And this is a big year for Isaiah Simmons. And to put on tape what he did is not going to bode well moving into the regular season. Look, I mean, fair or not, for all the reasons you said, the eyes are on him of where he was drafted, what year he's in in the lead, the fact that his fifth-year option was not picked up, the fact that he is no longer playing a hybrid role and he is working strictly as a safety. And so, and he said himself he wants to master one position. So, of course, the eyes are going to be on him, and I agree with you. I, I don't think it was a clean performance by him. Um, it'll be interesting to see how much Simmons and the other starters play in the third preseason game. There were a handful of starters that did not play week one that played week two. And all of the ones played significantly longer in the second preseason game than they did in the first. So I'm curious to see what this coaching staff does with playing time for the third preseason game. I think you're probably still going to see a good split. I'd imagine with the quarterbacks and kind of seeing what you have. Maybe not even Colt, but seeing more David Blau possibly. But in terms of the rest of the starters like Isaiah Simmons and, and those starters, I'm curious to see how much playing time they get in the final preseason game. Rewatching the game on Sunday, looking at just the first team defense, Buda Baker, Kaiser White, two players who did not see any action in the preseason opener, were on the field for those first two defensive series, which was a three and out, and then the Chiefs gained one first down, 17 total yards. Buda and Kaiser were on the sideline for that third uh, third offensive series for the Chiefs, which ended in a touchdown. But those were the only two defensive starters that were not on the field. Now, during that drive, 
Marco Wilson exited the game, went into the locker room. Dennis Gardek exited the game, went into the locker room. But for the most part, that entire first-team defense was on the field for that drive. Again, it's the Chiefs, it's Patrick Mahomes. So all in all, how do you judge defensively when people are pointing to Isaiah Simmons, the unnecessary roughness call, letting up at the goal line when Shane Bouchelle was about ready to score? I know on the broadcasts, Ron Wolfley was adamant, quote, you want to see Isaiah Simmons lower the boom. Now, again, was he hesitant because of the penalty earlier in the game? JG said he didn't believe so, but it was a horrible look because you want to finish that play, and it looked like, again, did he overrun him? Bad angle, but it looked like you had an opportunity there, if nothing else, to push the ball carrier out of bounds short of the goal line, and Simmons just chose, for whatever reason, not to finish the play. You know, this kind of reminds me just the same thought of last year. I don't remember what game it was. Do you remember what the 49ers? Antonio Mexico Hamilton, City, right? Yes. He thought that um, the receiver had gone out of bounds and then didn't. And, and, but this is different. But that is kind of what I think of questioning what exactly was this player in this situation, Isaiah Simmons, seeing what led to that decision. And, and there's stuff that we just won't know, but it does feel different. And for the reasons you said compared to Antonio Hamilton, the one with Isaiah Simmons it's fair to have high expectations of him. And that's what he has of himself. And you need to go out, you need to see him put that out on the field. And given it's only been a few handful of opportunities throughout the preseason, I'm not sure that we've really seen that quite yet. The Hamilton play a year ago, we all had the same questions, but that was hard knocks in season. And we heard Hamilton a couple of days later on hard knocks, own up to it, admit it, he screwed up. Now, I know Isaiah Simmons did speak post-game, but I don't know if that specific play was asked of him. He mentioned that the team needed to play better. He needed to play better. But, again, you're going to get criticized if you don't do your job. But if you own up to it, fans, human beings, we're a forgiving race. We actually like the fact that you're not perfect and you learn from your mistakes. That's when that word accountability happens Okay, you got me. Yeah, I didn't do what I needed to do. And that's in all walk of life, as long as you learn from it and don't repeat the same mistakes. No, I agree with you. And that, that's, that's something will be interesting, again, looking at this third preseason game, because of individual performances. Is the coaching staff going to play certain players more than they had anticipated because you want to see them correct those mistakes and see if they can and see what good they can put out there? I don't know, maybe Isaiah Simmons would be a good fit for something like that if maybe he continues to play a good amount in this final preseason game to see if he can correct the mistakes from last week. Defensively, it wasn't the penalties, it wasn't Simmons's play, but J.G. Pose came as far as what he was, quote, most displeased about, and he brought it up. It was not asked, were the explosive plays, and you look back at the stats, eight plays of 20 or more yards, passing plays, and all but one of those eight went for 25 or more yards and explosive plays you're going to hear that a lot whether it's runs of 10 or more pass plays of 15 or 20 or more but seven passing plays of 25 or more yards and that wasn't just Patrick Mahomes that was all four quarterbacks that the Chiefs had on the field yeah it's again just like as a whole compared to the first week when it comes to pass rush when it comes to coverage it just wasn't the same. How much of that is on the Cardinals themselves? How much of that is on even the Chiefs second and third stringers are better than than the Broncos by a significant amount? I mean, 
it's hard to say at this point. And again, the Cardinals weren't game planning for the Chiefs per se. But yeah, it's it's a little, I don't know if if I'm concerned quite yet. Um, But it's definitely not reassuring that that's what's happening in the preseason by any means. I mean, at least you have a couple weeks, you have another game to really know what you have to work on and try and turn things around. And you're going to have some good practices because in Minnesota, you're not just going up against yourself. So you got to get a little more out of those practices. But there's plenty. I mean, Jonathan Gannon was not lying when he said that postgame, there's plenty to clean up from that game. The explosive plays are concerning, especially if you don't have a pass rush. And Chiefs quarterbacks were not sacked or not even hit. They were not affected at all in the pocket. And that, again, there's a correlation there. So something to keep an eye on as this team moves past the preseason into the regular season. Offensively, Cole McCoy and that first team offense on the field for three series did not get any points. In fact, they failed on three different third downs. There was a couple of third down conversions, but unable to convert on third and four, third and four, and third and two. So the good news here, Danny, is it's third and manageable. And then it's the unfortunate not, again, finishing the play. Rondell Moore ran a two-yard out when he needed four yards, which was a little bit of a head-scratcher. And then there was the pass breakup to Trey McBride, maybe a little bit thrown behind McBride, and then an overthrow to Rondell Moore on a deep pass towards the left sideline. So, again, you would have hoped to have seen a little bit more but as far as week one, Colt McCoy versus Clayton Toon, to me, it's not even a question. It's Colt McCoy, although Jonathan Gannon on Monday was asked if Colt is your week one starter. And the response, again, JG gives what only he needs to give. Quote, when we need to name the starters, we'll name the starters. So the quarterback battle is interesting to me because Clayton Toon has an arm not to say he is the most accurate or perfect throws every time. He had a couple high passes, but he's got an arm and he can use his legs, which is something we knew about when he was drafted, right? But you got to see it a little bit in the first reason game and a lot more in the second preseason game. So this quarterback battle is interesting to me because I have said since the beginning, I do not think you just play Clayton Tune for the sole fact that he's a rookie and you don't think you're going to be good this year and so you just want to put him out trial by fire until Kyler Murray comes back and just say who cares about this year let's just try and get a high draft pick you know and, and hope Houston does the same I've never been behind that at all however I do think this coaching staff really sees something in Clayton Tune, and if you think that all things are pretty much considered equal why wouldn't you want to go with the rookie and see what you have in him. I do think you also take into consideration, well, a lot of things, but also is what is Kyler Murray's true timetable to return? If Kyler Murray, let's say hypothetically, isn't going to come back until they say week six or eight, does that make you more inclined to start Colt McCoy and if things aren't working, you put in Clayton Toon? Or do you want to start with Clayton Toon and see what he can do? And if you have to, you put in Colt McCoy. What if Kyler Murray's only expecting to miss three weeks? Does that affect which quarterback between McCoy and Toon you go with? There's there's a lot of factors, but I truly do think that this quarterback battle is probably closer than we think because I think that Clayton Toon has a higher ceiling at this point than where Colt McCoy is in his career. McCoy obviously brings so much with his experience and his knowledge, and I'm not saying that he doesn't have the physical capabilities, but Clayton Toon just is able to use his legs more. He has that strength, maybe a little bit closer to what you have in Kyler Murray. 
So I do think there is a true quarterback battle. And I, I truly do think that Jonathan Gannon probably doesn't know who his starting quarterback is because it's not just his decision. You have to talk to Petsing. You have to talk to all kinds. You know, there's so many decisions that so many points that have to be made, right, when, when making that final decision. But I do think that it's probably a closer quarterback battle than we think. Tune brings offers something that Colt McCoy does not. You brought it up. It's his mobility. He bailed that offensive line out a handful of times, had a lot of Chiefs defenders in his face, able to extend plays, use his legs, run, much like Kyler Murray does. So you're right. There is more of a similarity as far as what you can do with the quarterback, Kyler and Clayton. I disagree with how close this competition is, at least from my perspective, because no matter how long Kyler is going to be out, if he's going to be out, you're drafted in the fifth round for a reason. This is not 2018 when Kyler Murray, or I should say 2019 when Kyler Murray was the number one overall pick and you hand him the keys. Your fifth round draft pick out of Houston, yeah, you started 44 games, but that's a lot to ask week one against the Washington Commanders, week two against the Giants, week three against the Cowboys. And I think you can do a disservice to where you might lose that kid before he even has an opportunity to figure out where he fits within the NFL. And then the other thing that Drew Stanton has mentioned a couple of times on the broadcast, he's noticed poor footwork as far as how Tune sets up, how he's able to get the ball downfield a little bit more uh, firepower to it if he just steps into the throw more so it's not a delay because, as you know, windows in college, those are smaller, much smaller in the NFL. So you have to throw a receiver open, and that's easier said than done. That's what Toon referenced when he was asked post game about the high balls was he mentioned footwork and having to clean that up. Look, I mean, it's it's interesting because who knows which of the two of us is right in here, right? Like, we really won't know. I just... It is interesting to me to see what Clayton Tune brings to the table, and you're right. There are still plenty of things that make him more of a raw quarterback than Colt McCoy, who has, what, 15, 16 years in the league, obviously. And I'm not saying that Colt couldn't handle being QB1. He's proven that in the past in his career, proven that in the past as a Cardinal. It'll just be interesting to see how this quarterback battle plays out. I do think something else that was interesting from your point about third and manageable was, even in the preseason last year, how often would we have seen the Cardinals go for it on fourth down? That was a little different to see now. It's just kind of a different philosophy. Is that offensive versus defensive minded head coach? Yeah, or is that by design? Or Possibly. do you want to not show too much in the preseason as far as what your fourth down calls That's a good might point be? As well. it, it's something that I don't, and I don't think it's a, well, Yes, the decision to go forward or not is on the head coach. So that's a Jonathan Gannon decision. And maybe it's a question for him, but it's also a question for Drew Petzing because I think JG will lean more on what the OC and DC have to say as opposed to disagreeing with them because he's basically said, this is your offense, this is your defense, and maybe I'll chime in every now and again, but I'm not calling the plays. But again, going forward on fourth down, I think that's, Jonathan Gannon, I think it's also Jeff Rogers as far as down distance, where you are on the field, play clock, game clock, and all that. But what is the philosophy of this coaching staff when it comes to fourth and short or just going forward on fourth down, especially on your side of the field? We got so accustomed the last four years after that initial year in which Cliff would just punt or kick a field goal. And then it became 
almost automatic. Like, I didn't even bat an eye. Fourth down, oh, yeah, you're going to go for it. And yep. when he didn't, that became more of a talking point as opposed to, you got to go for it. It was like, no, what are you doing? Why are you going for it? Yeah, no, I mean, you bring up a good point of, of maybe they're keeping cards a little close to their chest with it being preseason. But I do think it's fun and interesting to already see kind of the different philosophies and what this team is probably going to look like. And you touched on Jeff Rogers and special teams as a special teams coordinator. There was a move on special teams, kind of something that's not necessarily under the radar, but not talked about. And the Cardinals made a move. Well, Paul Calvisi has right. made this the biggest topic of the offseason and training camp. So I'm not going to save it for him. We're just going to do it right now here on Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Matt Hawk has been released, leaving Nolan Cooney, your lone punter, here one week, a little over a week before final roster cuts need to be made, and you have to get down to 53. It's August 29th. So does this mean Nolan Cooney is your punter week one, or he's just your punter for the next week, and then we'll see if there is a – punter that the Cardinals end up signing I would imagine you would want him week one but you are probably open because right there is now just one big round of cuts um, to go down from 90 to 53 Um, but it was interesting of preseason game one versus game two of you saw Matt Hawk and you saw Nolan Cooney one was punting one was holding then they kind of swapped the pre you know the next game so yeah Good for Paul Calvisi. Some exciting special teams news. Cooney did have a good Saturday night. He did. Better than 54 yards on his four punts, a long of 65. Plus, he had two inside the 20-yard line. I can't tell how his holds are on field goal attempts. I'm not... I don't have that good of an eyesight. I'm not. I know you need the, stronger binoculars. I know the laces have to be out, but as far as how that goes from getting the ball from Aaron Brewer, and then does Matt Prater like how the ball is held? That's again. That's that's a that's a bigger conversation that is above what we see as far as how does Cooney get the ball off his foot and kick it deep. I could be wrong, but I would imagine that Jeff Rogers is talking with Matt Prater and Aaron Brewer about at least from a holding standpoint of preference and chemistry. I would imagine they have maybe not a say in the final decision, but I would imagine those two with Jeff Rogers at least express what they like and don't like, and I'm sure that comes into account with that decision. Of course, you talk about Nolan Cooney. You have to talk about where he's from. He went to Syracuse University. So that already gave him a little bit of a leg up, no pun intended, on the rest of the competition. Yikes. Just saying. By the way, Danny, are you packed yet for Minnesota? Thanks for bringing that up. I am not, Craig. I am. I've still got laundry to do when I get home from work. But you know what? Our amazing producer Jim Mahundra reminded me that if I can pack in a carry-on for Europe for two weeks, I should be able to manage Minnesota for five or six days. I did also have a duffel bag with me that I will when I went to Europe that I won't be bringing to Minnesota. So that. I'm a little nervous, but I think I will be okay in terms of packing. There is some good news as far as the weather is concerned. I know earlier in the week, temperatures were close to 100. In fact, I believe on Wednesday, that first joint practice, it's supposed to be 100 degrees. I've got good news for you. There's an updated weather forecast, and it's dropped to a high of 98 on Wednesday, 90 on Thursday, and then it goes down 85, 80 as you get closer and closer to the weekend. I'm not concerned about the heat, Craig. What's the humidity on those days? Because when we looked last, I believe Wednesday was almost 60% humidity. You know what, though? I will say, you know what? It's going to be fun. They have beautiful facilities. The stadium is beautiful. We went last year. At least there's a roof 
Tennessee last year was so incredibly humid and it was an open stadium and kickoff right as the sun was setting. And of course, right, the opposing team is where the sun is hitting your eyes. So while that was still fun, that was very, very warm. And at least for the game in Minnesota, I know that it will not feel that way. So I'm I'm totally content with having a practice or two where I'm a little sweaty. And we're going to rely a lot on you, Paul, Darren, as far as coverage on Wednesday and Thursday. Those two joint practices are more important, at least in my mind, than the game itself on Saturday. As far as the number of players, the number of starters, because I do think Colt McCoy will see a lot of action Wednesday and Thursday, and we probably won't see him at all on Saturday in that preseason finale. So these two practices may be the two most important practices of all of training camp. Jonathan Gannon said at the start of training camp when we were out at State Farm Stadium that there was a no-fighting policy. We saw that with L.J. Collier and, remind me who, early on? L.J. Collier and Dennis Daly. Right, some little scuffle, right? They were both sent to the locker room. So I asked him at his press conference Monday if that was reiterated before heading out to joint practices because it feels like around the league, pretty much every joint practice has had a scuffle, which you would expect. Yes. There wasn't one with the Cardinals and the Titans last year. They also only had one practice, and they practiced separately for majority of that practice. Um, but Gannon had said, you know, the, the team knows the expectations. That doesn't change whether or not they're practicing against themselves or someone else. But in my gut... I feel like we're going to see something, Craig. Something's going to get a little heated. I hope That's it's just, just my gut feeling. I hope it's just some pushing and shoving. Right. You don't want anyone to break a hand, punch in a helmet. Yeah, don't ball up a fist or anything like that or be Ravens tied in Mark Andrews and spotty slam someone don't down Don't put anyone the in a chokehold. These so, are things <laughs> I'm going to have to tell myself standing next to Darren watching practice with him. Ooh. Just kidding. Danny Sarek against the Vikings team reporter. Now, that no. would be outstanding. Uh, no? no, my no? friend Tatum. Oh, okay. No, she's oh, okay. a sweetheart. I would right. never. So no issues amongst the sideline personnel. No, no the issues. Talents between the two teams, just perhaps maybe the two teams themselves. Yes, the players. Okay. I don't know. I could be wrong. I again don't want to see anybody get hurt. I just kind of feel like maybe maybe we'll see a little passion turn into a little scuffle. I like this tease. Joint practices on Wednesday, and then also Wednesday game on with BJ Ojolari. Yes. that's the goal. Yes. Okay. That's when it should be posted. All right. Go pack. Oh man, I'm gonna. It's. I don't know how long it's gonna take me. Maybe I'll time it and let you know. Appreciate that, and then we can talk about it next week. <laughs> on that note, we'll put a lid on this edition of Cardinals Cover Two, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. As always, special thanks to our executive producer Jim Amahundro, our associate producer Cody Fincher, for Danny Sarek. I'm Craig Riolu. We'll talk to you next time here on Cardinals Cover Two. <laughs>